here in your presence. I'm going to go to the end of my message and then we're going to back up and go to the beginning of the message. I stop for just a minute and I ponder my thoughts. On here in your presence, may He make all things new. Wow. Broken windows, shattered lives, mended hearts. David commits sin. And he, he goes into the sanctuary of Almighty God. And as the Scriptures start to unfold in Second Samuel, it says that he was grieved within his spirit, that he had a hardened heart, that he knew that the sin and the secret places of his life had changed him from being a man after God's own heart. So it says in Psalms 51, he walks into the sanctuary. And here in his presence, he makes all things new. And he kneels, and it says in the sanctuary of Almighty God, he bows his head and he cleanses himself of all the impurity. The Bible says of hyssop, which is a cleansing and a purity. And then he rises up. And then he continues as he follows into the sanctuary to go to the place where he's going to meet Almighty God in the Holy of Holies. And his name is David. And the Bible says that he falls prostrate prostrate, sorry, before God. That would be scary. And uh, before God... And realizes, but at least you were listening, and realizes that he's a sinner and that he must repent before God can change his hardened heart. Isn't that amazing? I often wonder what Scripture meant. You know, we've been raised in the church from the 70s, maybe the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, a great movement swept across the nation in the latter part of 70s and 80s when Billy Graham was doing a great revival, when crusades were taking place. Souls were being saved, lives were being changed because there was something different taking place. Churches were rallying. Things were, were, were miraculously transformed. People were, were in places where they started to experience God and the fullness of God. I also remember going back to the day when I was a young man and my mom pulled out this suit and I'm 10 years old and I'm thinking, I'm going to wear that to church. It was blue and it was striped and I had a striped tie. I thought, I'm a little boy. I'm going to wear this to church. My whole life was, well, son, this is the way you dress. But it didn't convict me until I started reading this about David. And it said when he walked into the, to the Holy of Holies or he walked into the tabernacle, he changed his clothing. He purified himself. And so now I've come to the realization that now I know why we, we, we dress our best and we're walking into the sanctuary of Almighty God. Isn't it great to be in His presence? Isn't it great to come to church and say, you know what, Lord, hear our praises. When we usher, when we walk into a place where God is at, it makes you just want to do this.
take off all your clothes and throw something else on and go to a place. But please don't take your clothes off. Uh, but go to a place where you can experience God in His fullness. Wow, it makes me want to just sit down and ponder that thought. Because it's amazing to me to think that we can experience alive, a true and active, living God. Church, we can be freed. Here was David, had an affair with a lady, committed adultery, took a man's wife, he, he, he wanted to hide that sin. And so by hiding that sin, he became so hardened to what God wanted for his life. It's moving for me because I know as a child of God that I just want to, I want to experience the presence of Almighty God. I want to experience the Shekinah glory of God. I want to experience His Spirit. And we go into... Our walk, we go into our day's work and we walk into the church because we all have ministry roles and we're heavy. We're tired. We're angry. We're bitter. And we have a hardened heart. But yet, listen closely. We want to say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love what the scriptures read. It says in Proverbs 25, 11, you don't have to turn there, it says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. A hard heart or a broken heart, your choice today. Jesus said that people in the days of Moses were permitted to divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts. Divorce is not caused by adultery, abuse, or people simply growing apart. Friendships are not destroyed by gossip, thoughtlessness, or slanderous words. The relationships and families between father and son, mother and daughter, brother and sister are not ruined by fights and squabbles. The relationship between a man and his God, a woman and her God, is not broken because of his or her sin. There's separation and loneliness because we withdraw from His presence. And He sets us apart from Him when we will not turn toward Him. It all comes down to one issue. It is simply the hardness of the heart. The opposite of love is not hate. I really believe it's apathy. Hardness is the decision to not care about another anymore. It is this decision to be apathetic towards someone. There is gritting of the teeth, and setting of the jaw, a determination to not love, to not trust, to not give, to not take, not play, not work, not touch that person anymore. It's a mental and emotional decision. There are some that are in this room that have hardened their heart against God. 
If there's ever going to be reconciliation with God, there must be a breaking of the hardened heart. And how does that happen? It happens when God knocks at the door of our heart. Sometimes when you hammer on something hard, it breaks and shatters. And sometimes it just gets harder. The choice is yours. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you that, Lord, we can open up your word and see this life from David and Bathsheba. And, Lord, I'm not real sure. I've put my thoughts on paper, but, Lord, guide and direct me today. Help me to deliver this message with clarity and understanding. Help us to be delivered and understand true forgiveness. Help us to understand this Valentine's week, what it's about to love somebody unconditionally and to be able to embrace the ones that we love, to not allow our our hearts to get hardened because we've withdrawn from you and withdrawn from the relationship that we have with you. So, Father, today, we thank you that we get to learn about a man whom you recalled as a man after your own heart. Wow, what an honor. And so, Father, may we all have our hearts and our minds patterned after you. Lord, we thank you for this time. Hide me in your shadows. Hide me behind the cross. And let your word go forth, may not come back void. But may it prosper to the ones that need to hear it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. First Samuel chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. It says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 13. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 13 verse 22. Paul's first message. And he, he references David. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. If you would, please turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Giving you an understanding on where, where the text is this morning. Learning God's word as you get to flip all over the place. That's right. The shattered life of David. The sin of David. The cover up of David. The condemnation and repentance of David. And then the healing and restoration of David. This morning I want to look at David's heart with you. David's heart was soft and tender toward God in his youth. Listen closely. In the fields with the harp, singing songs of praise and worship as he watched his father's flocks. Eventually, he became a man of God. He took on, and we know the story, a giant called Goliath. He spent years hiding from a jealous king. He became the king and united all of Israel in the service of Almighty God. And then, what happened? He sinned. Oh, it was not the first sin in his life. But this sin he covered, he hid it, and he managed it. 
I won't rehearse the details of the scandalous story, but that is the backdrop of chapter 12. So let's go ahead and read. And I have to this morning because I love the emotion of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we read together in verse 1. And it said, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And everybody takes a big gasp. (gasps) Can you believe it? I've come to realize David's a peeping Tom. That's what I saw in Scripture. He got up on the roof, and did you notice right in Scripture what it said? It said that as he arose in the middle of the night, that he walked out on that roof. And who did he notice? But a beautiful fair dame bathing. Now, what we need to understand is that it was the the time of her menstrual cycle, and so she was out there cleaning and so forth, and that's what Scripture wants to identify The reason why I say that is because you'll see it here in Scripture. And that he all of a sudden, what happened to him? The lust of the flesh and the pride of life overtook him. Isn't it amazing? Our eyes. We we think we deserve something. We have to have something. We covet it. God doesn't want us to covet. He wants us to stay focused on him. So here was David. Had David, think about this. David, a king, is normally out in battle with his army. But David stayed back. Now, there's some pondering thoughts that I have to think. Did he know that Bathsheba was going to go out there and shower? You know, and I thought about this. My whole life, I used to think, even as a young man, okay, wait a minute. Here was David, and he was doing what? He was standing on his roof watching people shower? Yeah. I'm serious. It kind of creeped me out. Until, are you ready for this? Until I was able to sit down this Christmas with Pastor Dahl in the Nepali. Now, you've got to remember that I think of a king and I think of a culture of people. And it wasn't until Benoit and Pastor Dahl them were sharing with me how they had to take baths and shower. They didn't do it in their 10 by 10 room. They stepped outside with a pan and that's how they washed off. So, okay, think of a culture like that. You know, they're experiencing something different. I mean, we get the great opportunity. I get to shut three doors before I even get to take a shower because there's privacy. But when I heard them say that, it changed my whole perspective. You've got to take yourself back into a place where you're going to say, okay, I'm in that setting. I'm with David. I understand what's going on. And so they didn't have the the bathrooms or the facilities that we get to experience in this day and age. And so here was David, he rose up, and but, but isn't Satan crafty? <clears throat> Psst, wake up. What's David do? Oh, I can't sleep, I think I'll just go take a walk. So he walks the top of his roof, and he walks on the top of the roof, Until all of a sudden, something caught his eye. 
Then all of a sudden he thought, well, I need to have whatever that just got my eye. Then he started coveting and lusting and going after something that never belonged to him. But again, puffed up with pride, changed who he was. Isn't that amazing? Have you noticed in life often when people get puffed up with pride, everything changes in their life. They change their sense of who they are. So let's continue. So as we get deep into this story, it says in the latter part of verse 2, he saw a woman washing herself and a woman was very beautiful to look, beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned unto her, her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah, which was her husband, was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. Isn't he starting to be a sly mischievous schemer. Here's what he was doing. Oh, so tell me, what's going on out there in the field? Not confessing what he did, he was now setting the tone for what he was about to do. Verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from, from the king. Really, David? You didn't just go there. He was setting him up. Here's what he said. Why don't you go down to your house? You've been such a good boy. Pats him on the back and ushers him. Go on. Go back to your house. So Uriah said, wait a minute. I know where my responsibility lies. It lies with you, the king. That sometimes like in our own life, do we realize where our responsibility lies with the King of kings and Lord of lords and we allow things to distract us and to manipulate us and we change our focus? Circumstances change who we become. So he says, here, go be with your wife. Clean your feet. Go rest because pets him on the back. You're such a good man. Thank you for serving me and this great big army. And then it continues. And here we go. But it said in verse 9, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? He said to him, Hey, Uriah, you came back from your journey, and why didn't you go down to your house? Verse 11, And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Here's what he said. I am not going to go party while my lord, my commander in chief, Joab is out there fighting for you, for me, for my family. No, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to protect you. But you know what King David was thinking? I was really hoping you'd go sleep with your wife. Do you guys know why he wanted him to go to his house? 
so that if she said, hey, listen, Uriah, I'm pregnant, they would think that was his child. So David was a scheming scammer. His hardened heart started to change who he was. What webs we weave when we deceive, right? So here he was. He's, he's like, man, I hate this. My whole scam isn't working. And now I'm as mad as a hornet. Isn't that what happens when bitterness sets in? Anger, malice, and all these things start to set in our lives. And we lose focus of who our Lord is. We lose focus. So then we continue. And David said to Uriah in verse 12, Terry here today also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him a drunk. And at, even, he, at, at evening time, he went out to lie in his bed, or on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by thy hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. Can you imagine? Poor, poor Uriah. Here he's honoring the king. He's respecting the king. And all of a sudden, the king says, Here, could you deliver this letter? Do you guys think for one minute that Uriah, Uriah probably was going, I want to look in that envelope. I want to look in that envelope. But you could tell right off the bat that he was obedient, wasn't he? He was obedient to his king. So I stop and I have to think sometimes, wow, isn't this such a picture of our life? Shouldn't we be obedient to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Shouldn't we be obedient to God? But we've allowed so many distractions to hinder us from our sins, from everything else, from hindering us from actually doing what we need to do for Christ. So he said here, deliver this letter. And I want you to put... Uriah right in front, right where he is, his life's going to be taken. Can we kick on the air? Are you guys a little warm in here? Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And I could tell because I'm doing all I can as your pastor to keep you awake. And everybody's looking at me with that head starting to go way down. And uh, so I'm going to do the best I can to freeze you out of this building and you will not go to sleep. And uh, so anyhow, Lord, we just want them to hear your word. And so, so he says, here, take this letter. And in the hottest battle, put Uriah right in front. And he wrote in the letter, you know, saying, listen, take him, kill him, take his life. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Isn't it sad? Do you, you know what that means? Now that I'm interpreting all this, here's what's happening. David was so selfish and he didn't want nobody to know that he had just committed adultery with Bathsheba. So he not only took Uriah's life, he took all those other soldiers because of his self-centeredness. Minds me of the church too. No one will ever leave and say, I was a contributor to that. They have to go, Can you believe that angel? An angel says, wow. Yeah. 
And then all of a sudden, Angel tells Anthony, Anthony tells Colin, Colin tells, and he goes through the whole church, and all of a sudden, we have a church split. Why? Because hearts start becoming hardened. And when a heart becomes hardened, you lose your focus. And we must realize that in our life, we have shattered lives. Some of you are hardened. My daughter, Caitlin, knows of a family, and these kids were raised in the church, and a couple of the boys, and this girl who she was with, Camp Carl, and she's, her friend was saying, yes, I come from a pastor's family as well. And she's like, oh, so, and I don't know how the story goes, but it's okay. I'll, I'll get to the, to the point of what I'm trying to say. And she proceeded to tell Caitlin, the reason why my brothers are atheist is because they've seen so much in the church that it's hard for them to believe that God would allow so much junk to take place. Isn't that amazing? See, we will sacrifice for our own selfish pride. We all do that. Instead of, you know what God wants us to do? Stop, reflect in our own life, and do a self-examination. And say, what can I do to change? Have I shown love? Have I exhausted all my resources on what I need to do as far as making things right, making things better? Had David done that, he might have, as loyal as Uriah was to him, he might have even had a great friend. And personally, in this story, I think he was probably one of the most awesome soldiers. Have you guys seen Gladiator? I love that movie. An awesome soldier. And you stand for truth and you stand for righteousness. I told Becky, I said, if I could go back into a time, I want to be a gladiator. Do I look like a gladiator? Because I'd want to be one. I mean, that's, I've always said that. I just like that nomadic time. Give me a sword and let me fight. Not really, I'd probably run. But anyhow, uh, you know, I just, I love those movies. So anyhow, let's continue in, in our story. So men die at, at the hand of the sword, and so Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. Verse 19, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew not that they would shoot from the wall and smote Abimelech, the son of Jeribasheth, and did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? They said, Thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. The messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. Then the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee. Let not this thing disturb thee. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And listen closely in verse 27. And when the morning was past, David sent, and it says, fetched her to his house, brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son, that the thing that David had done 
was evil in the sight of the Lord. It displeased the Lord. It was evil in His sight. How sad is it? It is certain that you can take it to the bank that whenever you read words like that in the Bible, you haven't heard the end of a story. And such is the case here. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Nearly one year transpired between the events of chapter 11 and chapter 12. A year in which David lived a sham, a life of a hypocrite, and was soft and pliable, became tough and hard. He lied, he murdered, and hid the truth. Could David ever become a man of God again? Would David ever be tender toward God again? Yes, but only because God knocked at the door of his heart and wanted to come back into his life. At the right time, the right person with the right words hammered his hardened heart and it was shattered. Then only then can the broken heart be mended and what was hard can be soft again at the right time. After David sinned, Almost a year had passed. This was a time of pretense and hypocrisy. The root word of hypocrite is actor, a person who acts like all is well in their life. It is kind of a a spiritual whistling in the dark. That is when someone walks in the dark shadows and is afraid, but whistles to show that they are not fearful. Hypocrisy is simply pretending. This was not an easy time for David. A pretender is someone who pretends to be something he is not. It warps the soul. After the breaking, David writes about what was really going on in his heart, the guilt and the shame and the pain. Turn, if you would, please, to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32. And we'll correlate from Samuel to to Psalms here what David had to say. It said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth. Not an iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no guile. And in his spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones waxed or grew old through my groaning or roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. See, David started right then. He realized, wait a minute, there's a, there's a place in my life I've done wrong. How many of you would say, Pastor, I want a victorious Christian life. Let me hear you say amen. David, could, could, and I ponder on this thought, And as I'm talking, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. I ponder on this thought with David. He's now growing weary. He's now growing old. What happened to him? He was hardened in his heart. He hid the truth. What are you hiding? Have you heard, and I know for some clinicians that are in here, counselors, you heard the word, I think you've suppressed this in the back of your mind. And then it resurfaces. I think there's a blind spot in your life. And then it resurfaces. I often take that scripture and think of my bones waxed old. I started groaning because you can't become free. You can't be free 
until you realize, don't you love for someone night if we shall confess our sins? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's willing to take away all the old junk in our trunk and to make us fresh and new. And he's willing to forgive us as he was David. And David said, I am so sorrowful, I, I, I can't handle this. I can't handle the pain. I can't handle the rejection. So he says in Psalm 51, verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. That generous spirit of God. Remember as a little boy, you know you've done something wrong. And it stays in your mind and it is like a stamp seared in your brain. You can't get free from it. Today is your day of victory. If you have a hardened heart, if you're just saying, you know what, I'm having a difficult time in my marriage. I'm having a difficult time with someone at work, with somebody in the church. Maybe it's time that you do this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Wow. And he says, put the right spirit within me. Why would David cry out? I'm going to do something very quick here. Where in the world did the time go today? Here's what, here's what I want to say to you. He said, cast me not away. He had a relationship with God. With a, with a show of hands, has there been a time in your life, and maybe if you're uncomfortable you don't have to, but where you've, you've really sensed the presence of God? Yeah, we, we can all say, isn't that a sweet, sweet spirit? There is just nothing when you just, you feel the presence of God. And here was David, hardened, bitter. And he cries out to God, Restore, restore me, restore me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a brand new heart, a clean heart. God, I'm sorry. But here's what happened. Here's really the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. Nathan came to him and said, here's what's going to happen to you. You know what you've done. I am a prophet of God, and God has spoke to me. And here's what he said. You will repent, and as you repent, you will turn your heart back to God. This is in chapter 12, and for sake of time, I'll give you the story. And David said to him, why? He said, because God is going to take your child. There will be consequences for your sin. And David said, it can't happen. Please don't let it happen. And Nathan said, and you know what else is going to happen because of your sin? Your wives will sleep with other men in the city and you will watch. That freaked me out in the story. Can I ask you a question? It is disgusting. 
You're right, Daniel. But God doesn't play around. God doesn't make things a joke. God is serious about His children. He is serious about your devotion and your dedication to Him. We have to stop playing church and be the church. We have come to a place in America where we are playing church. And here was David, and it says that he cleaned himself, and I started right at the very end. But you see, why didn't he take... Here's what I find pondering. He did not take Nathan's life. Why? Because he feared God. But he also honored the man that God brought to him. Pastor, you can tell me nothing. I don't already know. Pastor, don't you ever come to me and tell me what's going on in my life. Well, I hope I don't have to. Cleanse your life, purify your life, and live your, live your life right in Christ. The whole moral of the story, really, is that God brings up people, spiritual gifts, the prophet, the exhorter, the giver. Interesting, isn't it? The servants of God, the children of God, the people of God, like the song says, we all come to a place where we have to grow. We have to make one another accountable and for whatever reason, we don't like that. We don't like that part of Christianity. But God wants to renew each and every one of you. He wants you to be awesome stewards of who He is. He wants you to be a faithful steward of God. Do you really respect the one who God has put in authority over you to preach the word? To demonstrate the word? Are you going through the motions? Wow. Can you imagine in the first verses of, of chapter 12, here was Nathan giving a story about the rich man, the poor man, bringing a lamb, grabbing a lamb, taking something that wasn't his. And David's like, you know what? If that rich man took of that poor guy, you know what? Kill him. And Nathan goes, interesting, because this is your story. You took of Uriah's life. And that's when he looked at him and said, I did what? You're right. Don't you love how God always uses parables? And so Nathan did the same thing. He used a parable to grab a hold and grab the heart of Nathan. And of, I mean of David. And so he used Nathan. I want to read you a story. It's from Dr. Gary Smalley and John Trent. It's called The Language of Love. You see... God gives the words that hammer a hardened heart. People in the early church listened to preaching of Peter and their hearts were hammered by the power of the word. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked or cut in their hearts. We love stories with perfect happy endings and we want sin forgiven without consequences. In reality, we can be forgiven for breaking the window, but we still have to sweep up the broken glass and repair the window. There are consequences to our actions, and like it or not, we must coexist with those consequences, just as David did. Listen, church, if you have a bunch of broken glass, come on, help each other out, start forgiving. Connect with your spouse, connect with one another. And show some grace, would you? Thank God he showed grace to us. Listen to this story. 
His leaving had been abrupt and unforeseen. His wife had come home from shopping one day and found the note on the refrigerator. The words were brief and they were cold. He was tired of trying to make their marriage work. He had found another woman he said he really loved. And he was leaving her. He had already seen a lawyer and had the divorce papers drawn up. Two weeks later, he drove into the driveway, got out of the car, but left the motor running. The woman was in the passenger side of the car. There was a lot of shouting on the porch when he coldly refused to come in. He dropped off the papers in a manila envelope, stormed off the porch, and drove out of their lives, leaving the family in shambles. You see what he did? He refused counsel. He refused to seek reconciliation. He refused to listen to the church. He set his jaw in disobedience to God in disregard to anyone who approached him. It appeared that he would never turn around. What can be said to a man like that to get through the thick walls of rationalization and self-justification? He has erected around his heart. One night when everyone else was asleep, his oldest daughter, she pondered on this and she said, You know, just as Nathan did David, I've got to go to dad. I've got to share my heart with him. I've got to tell him how I feel. And so she wrote him this letter. Dear Daddy, it's late at night and I'm sitting in the middle of my bed writing to you. I've wanted to talk with you so many times during the past few weeks, but there never seems to be any time when we're alone. Dad, I realize and I understand that you're dating someone else. And I know you and Mom may never, ever get back together. Don't think that Mom asked me to write this because she didn't. She doesn't know I'm writing and neither does Brian which is her brother. I just want to share with you what I've been thinking. Dad, I feel like our family has been riding in a nice car for a long time. You know, the kind you always like to have as a company car. It's the kind that has every extra inside and not a scratch on the outside. But over the years, the car has developed some problems. It's smoking a lot and the wheels wobble and the seat covers are ripped. The car has been really hard to drive or ride in because of all the shaking and squeaking. But, Dad, it's still a great automobile. Or at least it could be with a little work. I know it could run for years. Since we got the car, Brian and I have been in the back seat while you and Mom have been up front. We feel really secure with you driving and Mom beside you. But last month, Mom was at the wheel. It was nighttime and we had just turned the corner near our house. Suddenly, we all looked up and saw another car out of control heading straight toward us. Mom tried to swerve to get out of the way, but the other car still smashed into us. The impact sent us flying off the road and crashing into a lamppost. The thing is, Dad, just before being hit, we could see that you were driving the other car. And we saw something else sitting next to you was another woman. It was such a terrible accident that we were all rushed to the emergency ward. But when we asked where you were, no one knew. We're still not really sure where you are or if you hurt or if you were hurt or if you need help. Mom was really hurt. She was thrown into the steering wheel and broke several ribs. One of them punctured her lungs and almost peered her heart. When the car wrecked, the back door smashed into Brian. He was covered with cuts from the broken glass and he shattered his arm, which is now in a cast. But that's not the worst, Dad. He's still in so much pain and shock that he doesn't want to talk or play with anyone. As for me, I was thrown from the car. I was stuck out in the cold for a long time with my right leg broken. As I lay there, I couldn't, I couldn't move and didn't know what was wrong with mom 
or what was wrong with Brian. I was hurting so much myself that I couldn't help them. There have been times since that night when I wondered if any of us would make it. Even though we're getting a little better, we're all still in the hospital. The doctors say I'll need a lot of therapy on my leg and I know they can help me get better. But I wish it was you who was helping me instead of them. The pain is so bad, but what's even worse is that we all miss you so much. Every day we wait to see if you're going to visit us in the hospital. And every day you don't come. I know it's over. But my heart would explode with joy if somehow I could look up and see you walk into my room. At night when the hospital is really quiet, they push Brian and me into mom's room. And we all talk about you. We talk about how much we love driving with you and how, how we wish you were with us now. Are you all right? Are you hurting from the wreck, Dad? Do you need us like we need you? If you need me, I'm here for you. And I love you. Your daughter, Kimberly. A week after sending her father that letter, Kimberly stayed home with Brian and her mother rather than attending an evening high school football game. Actually, nursing a broken heart, she just didn't feel like cheering and laughing with friends. And guess who showed up? That evening, her father showed up at the house to talk to her. He said, Kimberly, how's your leg? My leg? I got your letter. Oh, well, it hasn't been doing well at all. I'm sorry I hurt you so badly, Kimberly. You don't know how sorry I am. Your letter came when I didn't know if I could ever return to the family. I felt I'd gone too far, but your story showed me how much pain I'd caused you all. Is your mom upstairs? I'm not promising anything, but I think we need to get some help. There's a lot we have to talk about. There's a lot we have to work out. I'm going to give it all. I have. You see, no magical words can make things right. God reaches out to you. And there is a moment of decision. At the right time, the right person brings the right words. And that is your moment of decision. When Nathan said the words, Listen, David, you are the man. The moment of decision came. The earth stopped turning. The rivers stopped flowing. The waves stopped crashing against the beaches. The stars stopped twinkling in the skies above. In heaven, the angels stopped breathing until David spoke. You see, the story could have gone on two ways. David could have denied it. He could have been angry and ordered Nathan dragged from the court. He could have ignored it and continued the pretense of all being well. And the heart of David would have gotten harder and harder until nothing could break it. But when David spoke, he said, here's the moving words. I have sinned. I've done wrong. No circumstances are brought up. No temporary insanity plea is lodged. No blame is shifted to Bathsheba. No denial is made. No excuses are given. And this is what I want to say in closing. A hard heart can become hard or hard, harder or hard heart can shatter. You choose. A hard heart can become harder or hard heart can shatter. What is God saying to you? What are you choosing to do? God never brings us condemnation without offering us grace and healing. 
This is a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible. God wants to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. And he goes out of his way to invite us into that relationship. The whole point of Nathan's charge against David was not to punish him, but you know what he wanted? He wanted to restore him. He wanted to bring him back to the relationship with God. There have been many parallels parallels between this chapter of David's life and the lives of men who have fallen into sin. Whether the man is a well-known figure or not, or a common man in the street, we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God's healing, His restoring grace is available for you, just like it was for David. All you have to be willing to do is to face God. You could shut the ear off. And yourself, and with the same painful honesty that was David's first step toward rebuilding his life. And I want to say this to you. Are you ready for a fresh start? Your life can be healed, it can be restored, and it can be rebuilt. Just like David's was. I can tell you from experience that it will not be an easy journey but it will be the most worthwhile venture of your entire lifetime. Like David, you'll have to be honest with God and with yourself. So stop trying to hide yourself. Be willing to deal with and accept the consequences of your sin and totally Surrender yourself to God. Allow Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, so that you can be freed. Having accepted his free gift of salvation, let him start the process of rebuilding your life on his firm, eternal foundation. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we are thankful for your word. Father, we're thankful that in David's life, a man who was shattered because he hid sin, a man who said, I'm broken, said, Father, create in me a clean heart, O God. Let me be like you in all of thy ways. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Father, today there's many that are hurting. There are many that are crying out. Lord, I just pray that you'll restore them and rebuild them. Father, in our own lives, in our marriages, and with our children, and with our co-workers, Father, help us to be that example we need to be. Lord, I don't know what this message was for, but Lord, I just pray that you'll mend the hearts, the broken hearts. And Lord, that you'll bring us back to the foot of the cross where there's healing, where there's restoration. Lord, I just pray that today you'll help us all be more like you and less like us. Lord, thank you the story from a man who took down a big giant but to a man who fell before you on his knees to cry out to you Father forgive me for I have sinned and if there are some that are here today that are in the crossroads of their life and they realize that they're a sinner this is your invitation and Father God I pray that you'll prick their heart And Lord, give them this moment of reflection as a time of healing in their personal walk. We ask all this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.